we give the Wednesday night team a big hand? That was... So, uh, as uh, promised, we're gonna, we've said we're going to start the Purple Book study tonight, and so I'm pretty amazed all y'all showed up, actually. Uh, what a great surprise. So, uh, if you don't have a Purple Book and you don't know what that is, we do have some on the front row. Tonight, we're running a special $50 each. If you just make that check out to me, it'd be great. Um, now, if you don't have one, because here's what we're going to do for the Wednesday nights in June and July. Because of the illiteracy of scripture. How many know a lot of our troubles that we face are because we don't understand the promises that scripture has for us, right? So we're going to take the time every Wednesday night, go through the purple book, a chapter at a time. We're going to do, there's 12 chapters in the, there's 12 chapters, uh, but we're only going to do seven. Okay. And I'll tell you which ones every week. If you want to follow along, uh, Basically, what I do is I do a lesson a day or try to do a lesson a day, and that covers a week. So then you come prepared because you've already done the chapter that we're going to do, and there may be some interaction. I may try that because I'm used to teaching this in a classroom setting where I like a lot of interaction. Uh, we may try that if you're good. If you're not good, then we won't do that anymore. If you say something crazy, you know, then which is very, very possible. It's possible I'll say something crazy, so I know you can too. So... Uh, but that's what we're going to do. Is that good? Thank you, Pastor Carol. Is that good? Okay, good. Now, if you think this is kind of an odd for a thing to do, well, I think it's a great thing to do. Pastor James and the pastoral staff really take this tool seriously. Um, now, I'll tell you about my purple book real quick. Uh, this is my personal one, and this is my second one. And see how many years is this? 20 years? Is that right? First time I did the purple book? Anyway, so basically what I do is I take this to FedEx or Kinko's and I have them put a blank page in between every page and then I have them spiral bound it because every time I go through it, I learn something new, right? Because of the season of life I'm in or whatever and I take the note or when I teach class, somebody says something brilliant and I write it down and steal it and don't ever tell them that I give them credit, right? I said, man, that was a great point. So... Uh, so a lot of things I'll say tonight came from other people probably, but it's, it's okay. Uh, so if you want to do that, cost me like 12 bucks. And, uh, like I said, my first one, I've really ripped up and actually I spilled coffee all over it and it, some of my notes got distorted. So I got another one. So I'm starting off with you guys. This is my new one. Okay. So we're going to do this together. So let me tell you a little journey. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the entire first chapter of sin and salvation. Now, what typically takes hours to do, because there's five lessons in this chapter, I mean, it's, you know, because it's a lot of scripture. Uh, the one thing that we love about the Purple Book, it's not man's opinion. So every, everything that you fill out, you go to scripture and actually you read it and you go, okay, this is what God's speaking to me right now about this, or this is what God has told and commanded me to do just as a Christian. How many know there's some things we don't need to pray about doing? right? You don't need to pray to, you know, hey, Lord, you know, do you want me to make disciples? I mean, he already said that, okay? He's not going to repeat himself. So there are some things that we need to go to Scripture to know what God said to us. Other times we go uh, to Scripture to see what he's telling us right now for a situation that we're in. And is there a promise in Scripture that will help me in that situation? 
okay? So I'm gonna go through briefly. We're gonna read a lot of scripture. I, I, I took the time to send it to all the guys, so we got a lot of scripture. But I'm only gonna highlight a, 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 few, a few scriptures in each lesson. And then I may comment about a personal story because the other goal in this is to show you that you can use this as a discipleship tool. So you can use it to take somebody through the scripture and use your own personal stories to, not that the scripture needs you to you know, back it up, but it helps somebody to say, hey, this actually works. What this scripture said, what this promise said, actually worked in somebody's life. So it'll work in my life, I'm not special. Guess what, it'll work in your life as well, no matter where you're at, okay? Is that good? Or is everybody with me? Because we are going to go like lightning fast. Because we've only got two hours. So, <clears throat> one thing I like to do uh, starting out is read something directly out of the letter that Pastor Rice wrote in the beginning of this. And this is the paragraph that I love to read because I think it sets the stage. It says, The early church turned the world upside down. They reached multitudes without jets, computers, the internet. I'm on the, I'm on the back, on page 10. Not even a sound system. What spoke the loudest was their lives. People saw the transforming power of Christ in the men and women who left everything to follow him. The fault lines that ran through the Roman Empire had, and the many earthquakes, both literal and spiritual that followed only tested their foundations and helped them stand when everything else around them came crashing down. The great thing about this book is that it sets the foundations of our Christian life that will sustain us when the storms come. We may have damage, but we will not die. Okay? First page here, chapter one, first page, it says this, the earth, humanity, Again, this is just a setup. I'm showing you how to set this up with somebody. All they see around us had a beginning. God declared each phase of the creation good until the first man, Adam, and then he said it was not good for man to be alone, and all the men said amen. That's right. So Eve, the first woman, was created, and the original couple was given everything to enjoy. Say everything. They were only forbidden to eat the fruit of one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The fatal decision that followed and its tragic results have affected all of human history. Humanity would pass down this fatal flaw, this inner corruption from generation to generation. The power of evil and darkness would have prevailed except for God's intervention. Everybody say hallelujah. Okay, his plan of salvation, his deliverance from evil's power began to unfold in the very garden of Eden. This is the primary story of the entire Bible. So lesson one is the original story. And we see here that God created in Genesis, right? He created. He created the sea, he created, he, and he said that it was good. He created the land, and he said it was good. He separated light from darkness, and it was good. He created the creatures of the sea, and it was good. He created the creatures of the land, and it was good. Then he created Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. Pretty good beginning. Then he gave them one command. What was that one command? Don't eat, right, of that one tree. But they did. If we look at Genesis 3, 6, and 7 here, this is what it says happened. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and that it was delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. Now, the question is, do you think you would have done that? Do you think you would have eaten the tree of the fruit? Do you think you'd have obeyed God? What do you think? We always want to give ourselves a pass, right? I, would, I wouldn't have done that. Truth is, we all would have done it. I mean, Adam and Eve were perfect. No sin, no deceit, no anything, and yet they did. When their eyes were open, we can turn to Genesis 3, 7, 8, and 10, and this is what it says. Then... The eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees, uh, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And he said, I heard, the sa- I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Now, interesting, what changed from, uh, see, I think it's, Genesis 2.25 that says that they were naked and unashamed to this scripture that says now they're naked and they're hiding. What changed? The awareness of things changed. Because of the, because of the, the uh, eating of the fruit, they understood the, they had the knowledge of good and evil. Something that God was trying to protect them from, they took, they partook of, and it caused death to enter creation. Kind of the same things that we do today. We know there are some things that we should not do, but yet we do them. I know that exercise is good for me. I hate exercise. It's like, have you ever heard the term, go on a fun run? That's an oxymoron. There ain't no fun run. Right? But we know that's good for me. Eating a bag of Oreos is not good for me. But I do it. No, I'm just kidding. I want to eat a whole bag. But we do things that we don't want to do. And that's, that is from sin entering in. Now, what was their, their response was what? They covered themselves. They hid from God. And then they were afraid. You know, the enemy tempted them of the same three things that we still get tempted from today. I say all the time the enemy has not had a weapons upgrade in like thousands of years. He still uses the same things. He uses this when we look at the uh, Genesis 3, 6. It's not up there, but the lust of the eyes, which is the pleasing to the eye, lust of the flesh, which is, she said was good for food, the fruit was good for food, and pride of life. It was, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. An enemy still does that to us today. Those three, everything comes from those three sins. Everything that you're dealing with is the root of one of those three. So what was God's response to their hiding? Well, let's look at Genesis 3, 8, and 9. Uh, well, let's look at Genesis 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? It's a good lesson because when we sin, Sin meaning uh, miss the mark. If, I, if I'm in archery and I'm, I have a target and I miss that mark every time, that's, 
basically sin. Now, it's much more serious than that because of the consequences that it brings. But that's basically what we're talking about. So here they missed, and God still walked and went looking for them. Because, here's why, he valued the relationship over their mistake. And God still values the relationship with you over any mistakes you've made. That's why the enemy wants to use the same thing he used then with shame, right? He wanted them to, I'm naked, so now I'm ashamed, so now I've got to cover up. There's a good lesson in this because uh, what, we, what we try to cover up, God will actually uncover. And then what we uncover, God covers. I remember a guy going to a uh, store once, and uh, I mean, not a guy, a woman. True story. Everything I tell is true, by the way. And if it's not, I'll let you know, okay? If I'm lying, I'll let you know. So, (laughs) which would be never. Um, That was just the first lie I just told you. Anyway, (laughs) it just kind of hit me. Wow. Um, Woman's in the line at a grocery store. The cashier and the, and the young lady bagging the groceries were talking about a friend of theirs that was having an affair with a man. And he, they mentioned his name, and it was the woman's checking out husband. What you try to cover up, trust me, God will uncover it in the most craziest of ways that you'll, you can't manipulate and you can't try to think everything where to not get caught. God loves you enough to allow you to get caught because he wants you set. He, he's coming looking for you, and there is no hiding. He's walking the garden. There's no hiding from him. Now, that's not to make us like, who I'm scared to death. You know, it should put a reverent fear in us going, man, I'm not getting by with anything. So I tell guys all the time, if you don't want, any, if you don't want anybody to find out what you did, don't do it. It eventually will be found out. But that's God's response. So here in lesson one, here's the summary of lesson one. God created everything and it was good. God gave us responsibilities to govern everything. We fell short. We failed in that responsibility. God sought us out. We hid and he covered us anyway. That's the story of lesson one. Let's go to lesson two. See how, see how you can take all that scripture and come up with that? Lesson two is the results of sin. So now we've sinned, and what's the result? Here's the, again, here's the uh, definition at the very top of the page. The act of disobeying God is called sin. One defini- definition of sin is to miss the mark of when you fail to hit the target in a sporting event. But we know, obviously, the scripture has a much more, it's much more serious than that. In fact, scripture has a couple of different ways of expressing this idea. So let's look at Romans 3, 9 through 20 and 23 and see what, what is, if you look at question four there, describe sinful humanity's desperate condition. So here's, our, here's you and my condition. Nobody gets out of this, okay? Romans 3, 9 through 20, here's what it says. And then... And we Jews are better off? Not at all, for we have already charged them all, but Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. Well, this is not a very uplifting scripture, is it? Anyway, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of them asp in the, in, under their lips. Their, mu- their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How I many know the beginning of the wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being, listen to this, for, the, for no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, for, in verse 23, for all have sinned. Everybody say all. Now, the Greek word for that is interesting. It, interesting. it means all. That's as deep as I'm going to get, okay? Hope you're not thinking I'm going any deeper. So we, now we see the results of sin, and it goes even, let's go even further than that. Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know, we're not bloodied, we're not sick, uh, we're not maimed, we're not wounded, we're actually dead spiritually. It really leaves no room for, you know, well, I'm just, you know, a little hurt. No. No, you're dead. Spiritually. Sin is like a disease like a virus that gets, and it started with an Adam and Eve. So they opened up the disease, right? They opened the door for the de- disease to come into their body, and they passed, they passed it down from generation to generation to generation. And it hasn't stopped. My, uh, my sister uh, has a uh, mental condition called Fragile X Syndrome. Not to go get technical, because uh, that'll bore you, but basically the uh, X chromosome, the protein in the X chromosome is deficient. And so it causes, uh, uh, you know, she's 40, I always got to subtract two, so 49. And she's got the mental capacity of about a 12-year-old. Okay, so it's, she is, uh, she's high-functioning, means that she can, she's actually married by the way, to another uh, special needs guy. Everybody say, oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, I was against that. But anyway, it's a kind of hurtful thing. <laughs> no, I'm just I've gotten over it. Sweet couple, but she was affected by a disease that's hereditary. My grandfather had, uh, his parents had, uh, I think, four boys that were um, could have been probably institutionalized. Uh, they were so severe. And my grandfather was a carrier. I mean, we're all carriers of this disease, by the way, that I'm talking about this sin. We're carriers, okay? My grandfather was a carrier. He carried it down to my mother and my aunts. And so when it came time for my mother to, and my father to have children, obviously, the ex of hers, a 50-50 chance, because women are XX, right? Men are XY, 
got that chromosome, chromosomes XXXY. There's a 50% chance that her children will have this disease. My sister got it, and I didn't. Here's the thing, though. If my dad was a carrier, I had zero chance. I would have been affected. But because my father wasn't a carrier, there was a chance that I wouldn't have to be a carrier. And thank God I'm not, I, I, did, I don't carry that, that disease. I don't carry that virus. That's exactly what Christ did for you, by the way. He wasn't infected. Mary was infected. But there's a 50-50 chance, but because of the blood of Christ was so strong that now you don't have to be a carrier. Once you come to know Christ and accept him, you no longer have to be a carrier of that disease. Isn't that amazing? It can actually stop with you. I find, I, it's, I'm, my wife and I, we have five kids. We were pretty happy that I wasn't a carrier. Christ became the antidote to the disease of sin. And when you take that antidote, you get healed. Amen? So who, let's move on to how does the Bible describe eternal judgment? Now we know that sin entered. Now we know that we are affected with sin. So what's the judgment of sin? Let's look at Revelation 21.8. It says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, I thought that was amazing. They said, there's that Greek word again, right? All liars. That's why I'm not going to lie to you. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So now we understand that because sin entered, there has to be a judgment on that sin. If there's not, then God's not a just God. He can't just let sin go because it's antithetical to who he is, okay? So here's lesson two, here's a summary. Sin separates us from God. Death is the wage for the sin. That's what we owe for our sin. Sin is like a disease that was passed down from generation to generation, and we're all infected by it. And when we die, we will be judged. Every single one of us will be judged. Okay, nice lesson, right? Let's go to lesson three. Let's move on and get to the good stuff, okay? Lesson three is God's solution for sin. The penalty for sin is death, and I'm reading here straight from the purple book. The penalty for sin is death, both spiritual and physical. God's ultimate solution for sin was foreshadowed in the original story. What's that mean? Remember when Adam and Eve, were, they found themselves naked? What did, what's the first thing they did? They hid. They covered themselves with leaves. God comes searching for them. He actually kills an animal and takes the skin and covers. That's the foreshadowing that to, to, for sin, there's got to be a death. There's got to be bloodshed to cover our sin. That's what this is talking about. After Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves and their own covering. And humanity has been hiding from God ever since. God, however, provided the real covering and did so by spilling the blood of an innocent animal. The concept of sacrifice for the, the idea that because sin, someone has to pay the penalty is seen throughout the Bible. Sin has forgiven only as a result of shedding blood. 
A sacrifice offered in the place of sinful human beings, a sacrifice had to be one without deficit, one not infected by the disease. Okay? So what is necessary for the forgiveness of sins? Well, Hebrews 9.22 tells us this. It says that indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So blood has got to be shed. What does Jesus' blood and his sacrificial death do for us, okay? So if it's gotta be, if we gotta have this sacrifice and this blood to cover our sins, what does it actually do for us? First John 1, 7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So again, he becomes the antidote to sin. How many remember back in the day, when everybody says back in the day, you can go, I don't know how many years that is, but the BP oil spill. Remember when that happened? It was, it was environmentally devastating to the Gulf area. There was 200 million gallons of crude oil that escaped and went into the Gulf. That's 80, and that was 87 days straight, 16 miles of shoreline was affected, and still to this day, they don't know the, the long-term effects to this day. Now, how silly would it have been for BP to just skim the surface and just gather the oil as it came up? They would still be there today working, gathering the oil that came up. They actually had to go to what the source of the leak was. And they spent, listen, 87 days. It cost them billions and billions of dollars. But they had to go cap the source before they could clean up the mess. We try, we try to manage the damage before we go to the source of our sin and cut it off. But that's what Christ did. Christ didn't just clean up. He's not into behavior modification. He's into an interchange going to the source of what sin, this disease is, is having, it's ravishing us on the inside and going, that's where I'm going to go to and I'm going to stop it at its source. Then we clean it. Then that's when we, we actually do the cleaning. We look at Scripture and go, oh, this is how I'm supposed to behave as a Christian. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm, it's not, oh, this is what I got to do. No, he saved my life. This is what I get to do. Right? So he cleanses us from all sin because he goes to the source. According to the Bible, what makes Jesus unique? That he can even do this for us. What makes him so special? Well, let's look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20. See how scripture's helping us here? Isn't that amazing? Colossians, um, what did I say? Oh, I, I don't mean to go there. Sorry, sorry. Colossians, I'm just gonna read it. Colossians 1, uh, 1 15 through 20 is he is the Im- it says he is the image bearer of an invisible God. There's been nobody else born on the planet that has been the image bearer of a perfect God like Christ was in wholeness and integrity, meaning everything that Christ thought, everything he did, and everything he said was in line with God. Perfect integrity. First, so what is the significant, or let me read this in the middle of the page, uh, I think 12, Sorry, it's covered. Whatever page I'm on, it's 
17, Jesus' blood, his sacrificial death is God's solution for humanity's sin. He pays the penalty for your sin. He wants to wipe the slate clean with forgiveness. But Jesus didn't just stay in the grave, he rose from the dead. So what is the, what is the significance of Jesus' resurrection? What if there was no resurrection at all? 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19 says, and if Christ had not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We have found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, Christ have not, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pity. As, as Pastor Rice says all the time, I love when he says this, it's a little poker thing. It's like God put all of his chips in on one event, and that was the resurrection. If you want to disprove Christ, just disprove the resurrection. Many, many people have tried through history, and many, many people have failed. There's, there's, there's facts, historical facts, that tell us outside of Scripture about the life of Christ and what happened. There's enough evidence to, to, to convict him of being the Savior. So what do we learn in this chapter? That blood has to be shed for our sin. That Christ was the only one qualified to do it. Christ shed his blood, died on a cross to pay the wage, the debt. And Christ rose from the dead, proving that he was exactly who he said he was. Isn't it amazing that it's all, we all learned all that in one little lesson? You know how many people don't know that, by the way? Some of you may not, this may be the first time you're hearing this. And if you are, I'm glad you're here, because I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you, this is going to get inside of you, it's going to help you. Now, lesson four, receiving God's gift, a new heart. As a result of receiving God's sacrifice, Jesus, as the payment for our sins, we, are not only, we not only experience forgiveness from the past, but we are given a new heart and a new life as God's children. Now, let me explain this new heart. How many know it's not like you get a new heart here? Okay? Everybody says that from, the, you know, that distance 18 inches from your heart and your head, that, no. Nothing happens here, <laughs> okay? It's all in your head. It's all in your mind. If we break it down uh, a little bit scientifically, you know, our prefrontal cortex is our high reasoning, limbic systems in the center of your brain. That is actually where your heart's at because that's your reactionary. That's your emotions. That's all of that. That's what God's trying to get a hold of. That's what we get new. That's what we get new, uh, renewed. That's why we transform our mind daily by what? By the scripture, by reading the word. It's trying to get that in us. So what happens when we receive Jesus? You get all warm and fuzzy and hot flashes? I mean, what do you get? What happens? Well, John 1, 12 and, John 1, 12 and 13, let me get down to it, says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, say right, to become children of God 
who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So what did Jesus say must happen when we, before we can enter this kingdom? So we just said what happens when we receive Christ. What did Jesus say we must happen before we enter the kingdom? John 3, 3, 7 says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? It's a good question. Can he enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered. Now, by the way, let me just stop right there because a lot of people want to fit Christ in a logical box. It is not going to happen. I see a lot of people online and stuff. They logically they can't accept. I mean, they can't accept Christ because logically they just they just can't get past even the Trinity. But Christ doesn't fit in our logical box. Okay. But that's what that's what Nicodemus is doing. He's logically it ain't working out here for him. <laughs> right? I can't enter my mom again. That's just crazy thought, right? But Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. You know, being born again takes really one step. And that is to acknowledge that you have sinned and you need a savior. It's called repentance. Repent means to turn 180 and walk the other way. You're walking, you were walking toward a certain life and you said, I'm, I confess that I'm a sinner. By the way, Jesus does not and cannot forgive excuses. Now think about that for a minute. We want to come to God with an excuse of why we sinned. We want to come with a justification. Well, you know, I didn't have a dad when I was born. Or, you know, my mom, you know, she wasn't the greatest. Or we come with all these reasons and excuses why. But God's just saying, just what's he forgive? Confess sin. That means truly owning it. Like, this is who I am. I have no excuse. There may be a lot of reasons, but there's no excuse. That's what, that's how we become into the, humbly, man, I need a savior. I cannot do this on, how many have ever tried to do stuff on your own? <laughs> I'm the chief of that. It does not work out very well. If you need to talk with me after, I can tell you there's two roads. I can tell you where that road will lead you every time. Because I kept going down that road and it just kept leading to the same spot. Like, well, it's called rock bottom. Great thing about rock bottom is a great place to lay a foundation. I got a lot of foundations. I hit a lot of rock bottom. So, but that's what that word repent means, to humbly confess. And then we become, then it says, then you're born again. Now, Ephesians 1, 5 says, talks about being adopted as sons into God's family. Uh, interesting thing about adoption, you may have heard me talk about this before. I have two adoptive daughters, and we have five kids. We have our first set that we say, they're all in their 20s, and then we have our second set, uh, and 
she just first night in youth group. Mom's crying tonight because, you know, growing up. First night in youth group. She's 12, and then we have an eight-year-old. They're siblings, and, they're, and we adopted them. One thing I learned through the adoption process that goes with this being born again is when we stood before or we went to the judge and we went, started going through the process, and uh, it's a little different in each state, but for the most part, this is true in every state with the two things I'm about to tell you, is that we learned that when we adopt, when we agreed to adopt Hallie, we agreed to adopt our daughters. Um, the judge told us that we, her, her original birth certificate, that had her mom and dad's name on it is going to be destroyed and she's going to be issued a new birth certificate with mine, Shelly's name on it. It's as if her parents never existed to the state of Tennessee as their parents. Do you know what that's born? That's being born again. When you enter the kingdom, the birth certificate with your dad's name on it, Satan, the father of this world, is ripped up, and God puts, puts his stamp on it and puts Christ's name on it as if you were never, never, ever a child of the enemy. The other thing you get, by the way, much to the chagrin of my older kids, by the way, when, especially one of my children, I won't say which one it was, because but we, we learned that, uh, so with Hallie, so it was our fourth child, you know you can write your kids out of your will. Do you know that, by the way? I just want y'all to know that. Kids, you need to know that. <laughs> Parents can write you out your will. Leave you with nothing. Do you know that I cannot write Hallie out of my will? She is entitled to, at least at that time, one-fourth of everything that I have, minimum. Now, when my one of my, child, my kids figured that one out. They were like, wait, time out. Wait he can write me out. I said, if you watch it, I'll give you a quarter to her, and, you know, she'll have half. So. But as adoptive children in God's family, you have all the inheritance that you're promised. And we, that's the great thing about it. Pastor Carol don't have any more inheritance than I do. Like, we have the same. It's the same and it's all, actually. <laughs> it's everything. Isn't that amazing? That's what, when you're born again and you're coming to the family, that's the two things that you for sure get. You get a new birth certificate with Christ's blood stamped on it, actually. And then you get all the promises of the Scripture. I think that's pretty amazing myself. It's really helped me through the years. Because when anybody comes to me and says, I'm nothing, I just go, wait a minute, I think that God can't write me out that will. That's what I think. So I don't need you telling me what I'm not. Because I got a birth certificate that tells me who I am. And most importantly, whose I am. So we get a new heart. We get a, the capacity to think differently. Pastor Rice told me one time, he goes, man, sin makes you real stupid and real blind. And what it does when, 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 when we accept Christ, man, it's like the light comes on and you, you can just see more clearly. And you can look back and see all the crazy things that I tried to do on my own 
to try to accomplish something that I was never going to accomplish. <laughs> it's crazy. And now there's not anything I can't accomplish because of that one act. Now, how do we, what does God, we're going to lesson five. Grace through faith. It's critical to understand that we cannot save ourselves. The foundation of our faith is Jesus' death and his resurrection. That's what paid the penalty for our sins. As a result of God's work in Jesus, we are now, I mean, we are new people with a new heart, a new way of thinking, and a new Lord. Before Christ, I was my own Lord. In fact, I used to go around and call myself Lord JT. I just want everybody to say that because I like the way it sounded. I'm kidding about that part. See, I'll tell you when I'm lying to you. So does God save us because of the good things we do? Now, here's a lot of people that think, you know, well, I'm a good person, so, I mean, I can't imagine a loving God not allowing me in because I'm a good person. Well, we just figured out that there's nobody good, no, not one. That's what Scripture says, right? So what does, uh, question two here, it says, does God save us because of the good things we do? If not, why does he save us? Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, but when the goodness But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He saved us not because of works done by us, I actually find security in that because I don't want to, first of all, I don't want anybody outworking me, right? It's like I'm in a competition all the time about work because uh, I love work. I'm glad it's not on me. There's not enough hours in the day for me to gain my salvation. There's not enough work hours in a week and a year in a, in a millennial that, that I can do to get this salvation thing. And neither can you. We can't work toward it. You can't be good enough. You have a lot of people that come will say, you know, will come tell you, you know, well, I'm, you know, look, I'm a good person. I don't hurt anybody. I don't cuss. I don't spit. I don't chew. I don't go out with girls that do. You know, that stuff. But man, we're just not, you have to understand how unrighteous we are without the righteous one in our life. You have to grasp that. Then when you grasp that, you'll understand the salvation thing is pretty critical, and it's pretty amazing that God would even think about sending his son as the answer. Why would God send his son, by the way? Why not send, like, I mean, you could imagine, you know, Michael the angel up there going, you know, kind of, you know, kind of like hoping you don't pick me to go, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's angels, there's thousands that he could have sent to die. Now, just think about that. But because he values you so much, he had to send his highest value. And his highest value was Christ. There's nobody more valuable to God than Christ, his own son. But that's how much he loves you. The person who knows, knows you the best, loves you the most. And we think the opposite. If people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. 
if people really knew my thoughts and the things that I've done, you know, because we come to church and we're pretty and, you know, but that doesn't tell the, our life story and the things that we've struggled with. But yet Christ knows us the most and loves us the best. Or the opposite of that. He knows us the best and loves us the most. So what did Jesus say to those who believed in him? Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone could, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the three things that we have to do. If we're going to follow him, then we're going to have to deny ourselves. How many love denying yourself? <laughs> Nobody likes that. But yet that's what he asked us to do. Because that's what he did. One thing I love about Christ, he doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't do with perfection, actually. He's already done it for us. So he's, he, has, he, has, he has made the path. He's shown us how to do it. As we have learned in this chapter, we are spiritually dead and cannot save ourselves. Regardless of who we are, we need a Savior. Jesus Christ is the only true Savior. By receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord, we can be delivered from the power of sin and its consequences. How are we delivered? Because we get a new way of thinking. We're a new creation, right? All things are passed away. Behold, all th we get a new way of thinking. Our salvation is based on what Jesus did for us, not on our own efforts. Therefore, we must do these two things. We must realize that we are sinners without excuse. Again, Jesus doesn't forgive excuses. He, give, he forgives confessed sins, according to Romans 1.20. And that, is, that it is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And then when we realize that, then we respond. And how do we respond? By turning from sin, putting our faith in him, and then following him as Lord. So what did we learn in this chapter, in this lesson? We learned that we're saved by grace, not by our own doing. Because of his grace and gifts of salvation, we do good works. We don't do good works to get in. We do good works because I'm already in. I don't have to prove myself, but I love him enough that I want to do good things. That's a different way of thinking. We owe God our entire life. Why do we owe God our entire life? Because he didn't die for a portion of your sin. If he did, then we could devy out portions, right? But he died for your entire sin, the entire dark heart that you have. He died for the entire thing. So therefore, I can live my whole life entirely for him. Because he gave us everything, we can give him everything. I'd like to sum up this whole chapter, chapter one, in this. Pastor Ice Brooks wrote a book. He's written three books, God's Not Dead, Mammoth Messiah, The Human Right. And he kind of summarized the gospel in these words. I think they're gonna be up there. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. 
He lived the life that we should have lived, means that he lived perfectly, sinless, and he died the death that we should have died in our place. We should have been the ones on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God, offering the free gift of salvation to those who would repent and believe. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you that that you gave us a way not to be dictated by sin. Lord, you gave us a way to have a choice. Lord, you don't force us, but you do come running after us. When we sin, Lord, and we have, a, have darkness in us, Lord, you, you, don't, you don't hide yourself from us. Lord, you walk in our gardens looking for us. Lord, and as we cover, try to cover up, Lord, you uncover because you love us. Lord, I'm praying right now, if anybody in this room, Lord, for the first time realize tonight that maybe they don't know you, maybe they've been coming to church their entire life, and they've not really fully understood what this sin is and what it caused. Lord, maybe they didn't realize that when they're adopted into the family, Lord, that they have a new birth certificate with the blood of Christ stamped on it as a signature. Lord, they don't realize that every promise in Scripture, every promise in Scripture is theirs. It's their inheritance. Lord, I pray that if there's any, any person in here under the sound of my voice, Lord, that does not realize how good you are and that you're not just a Savior to save us from our sins, but Lord, you're, you're a Lord that will help us and guide us so that we can have a life, not just abundantly, but overly abundantly blessed, Lord, that we can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.